Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's passage is in Mark 11, ch chapter 11, verse 15 to 18, on page 847 in the Bibles around the room. When I am done reading, I will say this is the word of Lord, and you will respond with, thanks be to God. This reminds us that God provides his word for us. Mark 11, verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables to money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard, scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared because him because all of the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Let us pray. Jesus, think this is the word of Lord. Jesus, thank you for bringing us to church today. Open our ears and open our ears to listen to everything you have for us. Show us your way on how to be a church that is always thinking of others rather than just ourselves and the people we are comfortable with. Show us how to work to be welcoming everyone, no matter what they look like. Jesus, I also pray for the kids and even the adults who are being bullied because of the way they look. Thank you for being the best role model. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you, Sierra. That was amazing. Well, good morning, church. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're a guest, welcome to Living Stones. Uh, we at this church love the Bible. We believe that God has spoken to us through the Bible. And so we open it up every single week. And today we find ourselves in Mark chapter 11. So if you didn't have a Bible open for that beautiful reading, uh, make sure you open it up to Mark chapter 11. On the Bibles we set around the room, that can be found on page 847. So we are going through a series right now on our core values as a church. What really drives us? What's our heartbeat? What are we all about as living stones? And uh, so if you're a guest with us, it's a great time for you to be here because uh, this, you might be wondering, what's this church about? And that's what we're going through. Um, and we're calling this series The Table. And the reason being is because when you sit down at table with somebody, when you sit down and have a meal with somebody, you learn who they are and what they value. And so for that reason, we're saying this is what we value. Come to the table with us. But we're also calling it the table for another reason, because every single week 
as Christians, Christians all over the world come to what is called the Lord's table. Um, we have tables in the back and the front, and, and, and we're going to do this after the sermon. And this is where we come and we celebrate the meal of communion. And it's a ritual in which we remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And, and when we do that, what we're saying is when we come to the table as a church, we want all of our values to be driven by the values of Jesus shown to us at this table. Like our values mean nothing if they don't align with Jesus' values. Amen, Living Stones? And so that's, what, that's why we're calling it the table. Now, today we get to our, our core value, our, our, our value that we're striving for and aspiring to be, which is on the wall over here, the third one. It's we want to be a community that's striving for unity and diversity. Unity and diversity. And it's kind of cool that simply by God's providence, uh, this sermon fell on the same uh, weekend that we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. And so that holiday is tomorrow. And, and this is what he gave his whole life for. Unity and diversity. Um, he was quoted in saying in one of his speeches, he said, I look forward to the day in America where people will not be judged according to the color of their skin, but according to the content of their character. And right after he said this, he said this, we must learn to live together as brothers or we will perish together as fools. And the reason why he said this is because this is a, this is a value driven by the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 3 says that God the Father uh, is the one from whom all families in heaven and earth are named. He is the originator. And from him, he, every person is made, and, and he values every single person, every single culture, every single language. God values us all. And so that's what we're saying when we say we want to be unity and diversity. We want to be a people made of all peoples because that's the heart of God. Now, I know that when I say that... Um, because this is a politically charged topic, and let's be honest, most of the people in this room are majority white. Um, a lot of people have a problem with the word diversity. So I just kind of wanted to dispel uh, some objections to this right off the bat. I got on uh, Urban Dictionary last night, and I looked up the word diversity. And uh, if you do that, you'll see that many people get on there. And it seems like there's a lot of white people who've gotten on there and, and view the word diversity as people saying we need to value brown and black people at the expense of valuing white people. And I just want to say, when we say diversity in this church, that's not what we mean at all. That's the exact opposite of what we mean. We want to value all people because they're people. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're well-bodied or disabled, whether you're white, black, or yellow, we want to value all people equally because they're image bearers of God. And we want to come together as one people of God um, that make up, uh, made up of all different nations, all different ethnicities. And so that's what we're saying when we say unity and diversity. And this is very close to God's heart. And the reason being is because we see it here in Jesus' uh, reaction as he walks in to cleanse the temple. This is the famous story. On, it's the last week of Jesus' life. He walks into temple, the place of worship, and he sees the religious leaders putting up racial and socioeconomic dividing walls, keeping people from the presence of God, and Jesus has a holy freak-out moment. This is not Mr. Nice Jesus. Uh, this is not the, the, the guy you see with flowing blonde hair skipping through the lilies in the field petting lambs. Jesus comes into the temple, which was bigger than two football fields, 
and he captures everybody's attention. He stops the whole function of the temple, and he cries out with a loud voice, My house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And so that's actually going to be my main point, just Jesus' words. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. First of all, he says it's his house. Now look at verse 15. It says, the disciples came to Jerusalem and Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Just imagine this for a moment. Jesus comes into town and captivates everybody with his holy zeal. This is the calculated rage of God. And, and in order to understand this, you might read this and be like, I don't understand why he's freaking out. You have to understand the background of what's going on. You see, God has always desired to be with his people. We see this in, in the first pages of the Bible. God desired to be with his people in the Garden of Eden. He was with his people. That was the temple. He walked with them in the cool of the day. But then his people rebelled against him and chose a life outside of obedience to him. And that fractured our relationship with God. And so as the Bible story progresses through the book of Genesis and, and into the book of Exodus, God comes to his people and he saves them and he says, I'm going to make a way that's possible for me to dwell with you and you to dwell with me. And the thing that he does in the book of Exodus is he gives his people what's called a tabernacle, which is a tent. And it was a place of worship. And so we have a picture of what this looks like. He commanded his people to camp around this this tabernacle, and, and his people were supposed to set up this place, and God's holy and special presence would reside in this place. And what I want you to notice about it is there's this big courtyard area, and then there's the, the tent, and the tent is the holy place and the most holy place. And only the priests could go into the tent, and the priests were the ones who were supposed to go to God on behalf of the people and go to the people on behalf of God. But the, the, the good news of this is that anybody could come into the courtyard. Exodus 12 tells us that even if you weren't Jewish, if you were a foreigner, you could come into the courtyard as long as you were willing to consecrate yourself according to God's law. Anybody could come. It didn't matter how much money you had. It didn't matter if you were rich or poor. It didn't matter what you looked like. You could draw near to God and your sins could be forgiven. You could go and have a priest pray for you. You could go to God in all your fears and worries and be reminded that no matter what, God is still with you. Anybody could come. And so this was beautiful. And, and it was totally unlike any of the other nations. Nobody else had a God who was residing in the middle of them. And so then that progressed. Uh, eventually they moved into the promised land and, they, and, and Solomon built, with God's permission, he built this from a tent. He turned it into a temple, which was basically the exact same design except with actual walls and a lot more gold. It was really cool. It was really beautiful. And then in the year 586 B.C., because of the people's rebellion against God, God sent their enemies to come and conquer them, and they, were, and they got put into exile, and the temple was destroyed. And then if you read the book of Ezra, you see after 70 years of being in exile, they come back and they rebuild another temple, although it wasn't to the same glory of Solomon's temple. And that lasted for about four or 500 years. And then in the year 20 B.C., another guy comes along, and his name is Herod the Great. He's partially Jewish, and he rules the Jews, and he works for the Romans. And he says, 
Solomon built a cool temple, but I'm going to build an even greater temple. And he built this gigantic temple and, and initiated what a period called Second Temple Jerusalem and uh, Second Temple Judaism. And he built this huge temple, and it was bigger than two football fields. And there was one problem, or actually two problems, with how he constructed this temple. And I want you to see a picture of this. Okay? So where the other one had a big courtyard where anybody could come, Herod and the religious leaders built out this temple to have a bunch of dividing walls. So if you were a Gentile or a non-Jew, you had a courtyard outside the inner part. God's presence was in the middle, and you had a courtyard. So if you were non-Jewish, if you were a foreigner, you had to stay on the outside. The other people that had to stay on the outside were those who were disabled, blind, or lame. And then there was another area. So then you could draw a little bit closer if you were a woman. So they had a special area for the women, right here, the women's courtyard. And then if you were a man, then you really got to draw near to the presence of God. And so what they did, when God created a system in which he wanted all people to be able to have access to him, these religious leaders created a system in which they put up dividing walls because they thought some people were more valuable than others and some people ought to have better access to God than others. That's the first problem. The second problem, as we read about this, is Jesus turns over the tables of the money changers. He flips over the seats of those who sold pigeons. And what it shows us is that these people made the temple a place of business when it was supposed to be a place of prayer. And so what was going on is in the Old Testament law, if you were to come and worship God at the temple, you had to bring a shekel. It was uh, our equivalent of about $5 of Jewish money. And uh, they... But a lot of people who lived in the Roman-occupied area, they didn't have Hebrew coinage. They had Roman coinage. And so what the, the Hebrew religious leaders would do is they would say, no, you can only worship God with this kind of coinage. And so they said, you have to exchange your money for a shekel. But they would charge you anywhere from four to eight times the rate. So instead of spending $5 a person to come and worship and to pay your dues to God, you would spend 20 to $40 a person. And this particularly exploited those who were the working class and were poor. And that's why I think Mark mentions the pigeons. Because if you were somebody who was wealthy, you would come and you'd bring a lamb or a goat or an ox to sacrifice. But if you were poor, God made an allowance that you could <coughs> sacrifice a pigeon. But it's really hard to travel a long distance holding a pigeon. And so what the people did, the religious leaders said, well, they won't carry their pigeons. What we'll do is we'll sell them pigeons at an even higher rate, and they were taking advantage of the poor. And so now you see why Jesus freaks out. Because he sees the division, and he sees the, the financial exploitation. And instead of creating a community that's supposed to bring people together, it's a community that is separated based on money and based on race. And what does Jesus say? Not in my house. Not in my house. My house, he says, is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Not in my house. You see, the chief problem with the religious leaders of the time is they had viewed the temple worship as their house. And I'm sure you guys have heard the, the phrase house rules, right? Like when you're playing ping pong in, in high school and you get in an argument because it hits the edge and you wonder if it's in or out. How do you trump that argument? House rules. If you're playing... Uh, rummy or cards at the table and you have a disagreement about what should be happening and there's a conflict, house rules wins. 
because when it's your house, you get to organize things your way. And, and think about it when you buy a new house or when you rent a new apartment. That's the cool thing about getting into a new space. It's all blank, and you get to decide where you're going to put the furniture, how you're going to organize, where you're going to eat, where you're going to do community. It's really awesome because it's your house. But the problem with the religious leaders here is they organize things according to their preferences, thinking it was their house. Their house. And when you do that, when God's people organize worship according to their preferences, it always creates racial and socioeconomic divisions. Always. And so, how does this apply to us? Well, we don't live in the temple age of the Old Testament because Jesus has come to fulfill all the ceremonial temple laws. Amen, church? Like, we don't have to sacrifice animals at church anymore because Jesus is the last sacrifice. And he's, he's, he's paid the price for all sin. And, 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 uh, and now there's not a temple, a building that we go to to worship, but the New Testament calls the church the temple of God because after Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven, God gave us his Holy Spirit. So his temple isn't just in the Middle East. His temple is all over the world wherever the church is gathered. So this is why we actually call ourselves living stones. Uh, there's a passage in 1 Peter which says, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. And why does this matter to us? Because when it means we gather here as living stones, guess what? This is not our house. It's not our house. Which means that our preferences on how worship should go should bow to God's preferences. Like, and if we start making this church about our preferences, we're going to start maybe even unconsciously dividing it and, and, and doing worship according to our subconscious prejudices. And what we're going to start doing is it's going to create division rather than unity. But it's not our house. It's not our house. The second thing that Jesus says is, my house is to be a house of prayer. A house of prayer. But these people have turned it into a house of business. A house of commerce. And, then, and, and if you think about what prayer is, prayer is giving people the opportunity to have access to God. That's what being a house of prayer is. But they turned it into as a way to take advantage of the people and make, a, and make some profit off of them. And so they misunderstood the purpose of this house, the purpose of this temple. And, and, and if the church starts misunderstanding the purpose of the temple and making it not about giving people access to God and about making money, what will it do for those who are in different social classes? It will create division, not unity. And this still happens. And if you study church history closely, you'll see that this has happened all the time. Eventually, the church sets out to help people connect with God. A lot of people start coming. And then all of a sudden, the mission shifts to helping people connect with God. And it turns to, let's get a bigger, better building. Let's make some money off of this thing. Let's, let's really start calling people to make sure that they can give so that we can make a profit. Now, I'm not against buildings. We're in a building. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. It's raining out there, right? And buildings cost money. I'm not against money. It takes money to run a church. But the buildings are a tool. They're not the goal. And the money is a tool, not the goal. Profit should not be a thing that the church is trying to think about. The church should be thinking about how can we help the people connect with God. And this still happens. We have a leader in our church who says that he, he grew up government cheese poor. He's like, literally, that's what we ate, government cheese. It came in a big old block. 
And he said when he went to worship on Sundays, his family had to sit in the back because those who gave more to the church had special seats in the front. This still happens. I don't believe that this is happening at Living Stones, but it better not ever happen at Living Stones. Because if it starts happening at Living Stones, it means we've missed the purpose. And if, if the church becomes about money, then it will exclude those of lower classes. May it never be. Because my house, Jesus says, is a house of prayer for all nations. It's a house of prayer. And he says it's for all nations. The word nations, this was written in Greek. If you look at the original word, it's the word ethnos, which is where we get the word ethnicities. And what Jesus is saying is, not only did they misunderstand the purpose of the church, they misunderstood the people of worship. And the people, in God's mind, is all ethnicities. Not some are better than others, and some ought to have better access to God than others. All ethnicities. This is God's heart from beginning to end of the scriptures. We see this in Genesis chapter 22 when God comes to Abram. Abram's name means father of a nation. And God says, I'm going to rename you as Abraham because you're going to be a father of many nations, many ethnicities. And he says to Abraham in Genesis 22, from you is going to come one who's going to bless all nations. An offspring of yours is going to bless all nations. In Exodus chapter 12, like I said, God made a way not only for the Jews to worship him, but for anybody who wanted to, even if they were a foreigner, to come and worship him. In Isaiah 56, the passage that Jesus quotes here, it's Isaiah looking forward to the future when the day will come where God's people aren't divided in worship, but all nations will be represented. And then even we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're written, we have four gospels written from four different accounts of people who, who had a life with Jesus, but they're also written to four different audiences. Did you know that? Matthew's written to the Jews. Mark is written to the Romans, Luke is written to the Gentiles, and John is written to the Greeks. And so it's, 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 even then we see that God's desires for all different types of people to worship him. Even when our Lord was killed on the cross, it was placed above his head. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And it was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. Greek, the language of the, of the Gentiles. Hebrew, the language of the Jews. And Latin, the language of the world. Because God's desire is to be a king of all peoples, to have one people from all peoples. And in Revelation chapter 7, we see this. Check this out. It's so beautiful that one day Jesus is going to return, and this is what heaven's going to look like. John sees this beautiful vision of heaven. He says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were sitting around the throne, standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Like, can you imagine what that's going to be like? We're going to be around Jesus and people from all the years of history, all the different tribes, all the different languages around the throne of one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the picture of heaven. That's the heart of God made manifest. And so when Jesus walks into the temple, and he sees his people doing the exact opposite, he flips out. 
because his desire is for unity and diversity. And so this actually, uh, Michael Reeves, who wrote the book Delighting in the Trinity, says this is, this is one of the cool things about Christianity that's different from every other religion in the world. Not to talk smacks about the other religions of the world. This is just a major difference. If you look at Islam, um, Islam is rapidly spreading over all the world. But when you look at it, it's still basically Middle Eastern. If you look at Buddhism, it's spreading all over the world, but it's still basically Eastern. If you look at Hinduism, it's spreading all over the world, but it's still basically Indian. If you look at Mormonism, it's spreading all over the world, but it's still basically Utah. <laughs> but if you look at Christianity, it's spreading all over the world. And I've got to worship in different countries. And there's the same message, the same Lord, the same communion, but different styles of music, different styles of dress, different languages being represented, and, and, and different cultures being celebrated and brought in. And that's one of the beauties of it. And Michael Reeves says this is a testimony to the fact that we're made in the image of God because God is a trinity. He's multiple yet one, and he expects his people to be multiple but one. Diverse, but one together. Unity in diversity. And so this is God's heart. And so what does it mean for us as a church? It means that we as a church have a responsibility to be trying to seek out and to accommodate and to celebrate the different ethnicities, socioeconomic statuses, and and varieties of people in our neighborhood and in our city. This is our call. If we're going to be on mission, following Jesus' heart, see, I mean, what are we supposed to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning that until we die, our goal and vision as a church should be make what is in heaven become a reality in this church. And if that's true, then we need to be seeking all these different ethnicities and and we need to be seeking the people of our city. Now, it doesn't mean that we need to be people we're not. Like it doesn't mean that all of a sudden Kyle needs to show up and be a black preacher some Sundays. Because guess what? I'm not a black preacher. I'm as pasty as they get, all right? Um, It doesn't mean that our band needs to be different, like be not themselves. It doesn't mean that. They need to be themselves, okay? It doesn't mean that we need to be people we're not, but it does mean that we need to have an eye to those who are around us. I love how the great preacher at Epiphany Camden, Doug Logan, says, that uh, if you think about it in terms of ice cream, the church should match the community. If uh, the community is like vanilla with a little bit of sprinkles on top, that's what the church should look like. If the community is like Neapolitan ice cream, that's what the church should look like, Neapolitan. If the, if the community is like Rocky Road, which is mostly chocolate with a little bit of white marshmallows and nuts in it, that's what the church should look like. Okay? <laughs> I know we got a lot of nutty people here, okay? But so God's not asking us to be people we're not, but he is asking us to reach the people in our community. And so as the pastor of this church, I think this is why we need to keep striving for this because we have some work to do. We have some work to do. Here's the statistics, uh, the most recent statistics of the city of Sparks. Um, City of Sparks is about 94,000 people, 60% white, 28% 28% Hispanic, 6% Asian, 3% mixed race, 3% black, and 1% Pacific Islander or native. And so what that means, if this is true for our city, this means that this is what we need to be praying for as a church. And if we look around the room, we're not quite there. And I'm not saying that to dog us. 
uh, or to make you feel like guilty. I'm just saying we got some work to do. In the same way that Jesus looked at the disciples and said, you got to take this gospel to all nations in the end of the earth, there was some work to do. In the same way that we have some work to do to make outsiders insiders, there's some work to do in this department as well. Okay, And so, um, and I think you might say to me, well, that's, that's, a, you know, that's the city of Sparks as a whole. It's different in different neighborhoods. I would say, yeah, there's a point there. But if you go to Smith's, if you go to Costco, if you go to Walmart, if you sit at the gas stations and watch the people who are showing up, you would see a little bit more diversity than what you see happening in our church right now. And so that's why we need to keep striving for this and praying that God would make this vision of heaven a reality in our church. And so um, we have some work to do in it. So what does it look like to do, to, to, to pursue this? How do we do this? I have five ways. And the reason why it's so important is not just, it, I'm not doing this so we can be a cool church, a hip church, a with it church. We want to follow the heart of Jesus. And as you can tell, he gets pretty passionate about this. We want to do this because this is the vision of heaven. And so, five ways that we can do this as living stone sparks. Number one, we have to pray that God would show us any ways that we've put up dividing walls unknowingly. That's the first thing we have to do. Is that God would show us any ways that we put up dividing walls unknowingly. The thing that's caught my attention as I meditated about this passage is there was all these people worshiping God and, and pursuing God, but they were blind to the dividing walls that existed. And what they needed is Jesus to come in the, the fashion of a prophet and to call him out. They needed that to happen. Otherwise, they were blind to it. And this is a common thing with humanity. Sometimes we're blind to the problems at hand. Uh, in my old house, we had a house that had a lot of plumbing problems. And so... What that meant is we had to cut out the wall and then fix the pipes. And we, when we put the drywall back, we didn't finish it. And then over time, Amanda and I just kind of got used to the fact that, yeah, that's how our house was. And we just missed it. But my friends would come over and they'd be like, dude, what's up with your house? There's like holes everywhere. And it's like unrepaired. And the reality is we just, we had grown accustomed to it. And we're blind to the problems. And that happens in the church. Sometimes we can grow accustomed to the way that we do things and we could be blind to the fact that the way we do things might be excluding some people that God is calling us to reach in our neighborhood. And so uh, a couple years ago I was at a conference and uh, the, this was the topic of a sermon and the, the guy who was teaching was a pastor in New York City and it says church was striving for racial diversity and um, on staff he had a, another pastor who was an Asian and they went out to lunch and this guy was white and he they went out to lunch, and the Asian guy said to the white guy, well, where do you want to go to lunch? And the white guy's like, oh, let's go get some ethnic food. And the Asian guy just looked at him and said, see, this is the problem. You don't understand, like, how offensive that is to me. And the guy's like, why? He's like, because you think that, like, a burger and fries, American white people food is, like, normal food, and then all the other food is, like, strange ethnic food. And he's like, you realize that a burger and fries is an ethnic, like that's a type of ethnic food. That's like an American white ethnic food. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I didn't even realize I had a problem with that. Like, oh. And so what he had the humility to admit was this. He was like, I had no idea that was a problem. I need to think about that a little bit better. And so as a church, we need to be asking God, is there any way that we're doing this? Any way that we're putting up dividing walls, but then we need to have the humility, if he reveals something, to say, oh, I'll think about that. And I receive that from you, God. Okay? So that's the first thing. We need to ask God to reveal to us. The second thing we need to do is we need to be very aware 
of our human tendency to avoid or draw near to people based on our stereotypes. You might not call yourself a racist, and I'm certainly not calling you a racist. But we all either avoid or draw near to people based on stereotypes. That is a human fact, and it's not fair. Um, suppose you're somebody who you values being clean cut, you value uh, you know, looking nice and working hard. If you meet a, a group of people and there's one guy who has a jacket on, he's clean cut, and you, know, you, you might be drawn to him, but then you might avoid the person who's wearing like sweatpants and is sagging, has a backwards hat and tattoos on the neck. You might think that one person has their life together and the other person doesn't and is a low life and a criminal. And you have to fight against those stereotypes with all of your might. Because first of all, it's just, it's not fair and it might not be true. The fact might be is the guy in the coat might be the criminal. That's, a, that's the case a lot of the times, isn't it? But we just don't know. We do not know. And nobody wants to be judged like that, so why are you judging other people like that? And then secondly, and more importantly, it's not the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is not like, I'm going to draw near to everybody who's like me. Because he would still be in heaven. Because there is no one like him. The heart of Christ is that he draws near to accommodate and welcome those who are unlike him. And so we as a church need to be willing to just beware of our natural inclination to have stereotypes. Okay, suppose you're somebody who, um, you know, you're working class and you, you're struggling to make ends meet. You don't have a lot of money and you're working really hard. You might have a tendency to look at those who drive really nice cars and live in nice houses in Wingfield Springs and say, those people are guppies. They have no idea how to relate to real life. And you might be totally disconnected from them. You got to beware of that if we're going to pursue diversity in this church. If you're somebody who drives a Prius, you might be tempted to look at somebody who drives a diesel truck and be like, this person doesn't care about God or the environment at all. And you might be tempted to be drawn away from them. If, if you're somebody who's older, you know, you're a gray hair or no hair, you might be tempted to look at the millennial generation and just say, they just have no idea. They're just a bunch of lazy millennials. And that's so unfair. And it's so not true. Listen, as a pastor, I have a lot of people come into my office of all different ranges. And uh, sometimes young people come and you know what? They don't have their life together, but they're trying. But sometimes young people come into my office and they have their life together a lot more than their parents and grandparents did. That happens a lot. And sometimes old people are in my office and they have their life together. And a lot of times old people come to my office and they don't. We've got to be very careful about avoiding people or drawing near to people based on our stereotypes if we're going to draw near to Christ and pursue unity and diversity. Okay, so that's the, that, that's the next thing. The third thing is we actually have to pursue relationships with each other, not just a quota on Sundays. Like, if, if we get more to match our city here on Sundays, uh, but we don't actually have relationships with each other, that's not a win. As my black preacher friends say, that's still integrated segregation. Like, God calls us to be brothers and sisters, to have life together, to be in relationship together. And so that means we need to be pursuing relationship even when it's not comfortable. And so if we're going to be a church that is, uh, you know, pursuing unity and diversity, this is a must. 
Now it's really difficult because birds of a feather flock together. But Jesus has something better. He calls us to something more glorious. Um, so I, I called up a, a member of our church. She's Filipino. And I just said, talk to me about this. And, and she was like, yeah, this I think is the key. It has to be relationships, not just numbers on Sunday. And I was like, well, what do you suggest? How do we pursue that? And she's like, we have to eat together. Because all people like food. I don't know if you knew that. Everybody likes food. And when you share a meal with somebody, there is an aspect where you're sharing your heart, a piece of your life, and your culture. It's a place where you can have understanding and, and exercise holy curiosity in the other. But that's a little intimidating sometimes. Because it means you have to pursue people very different. You might have to eat foods very different. And it might smell very different. But this is what we need to do if we want to pursue relationship with each other. And she even said to me, she's like, and this is my problem, Kyle. She said, when I see another brown person, I often just go immediately to that person because it makes me feel comfortable. And she's like, in a majority white place, like there's, there's this mutual thing between brown people, like we're looking out for each other. And she was like, but that's not okay either because I'm just drawn to what's comfortable for me. I'm not pursuing actual diversity in the community. And so it's something that we all need to be doing. Now, this isn't just a race thing. It's also an age thing. If we're a church that has a mix of people here on Sundays, but then our community groups is just a bunch of uh, old people over here and young people over here and hipsters over here, like that doesn't work. That's not, that's not unity and diversity. If we have groups of people in this church that like to hang out and it's only the Republicans hang out over here and the Democrats hang out over here, that's not unity and diversity. Unity and diversity is that we set aside our opinions for the sake of relationship. Are you willing to do that? I think that one of the biggest gods in our culture is our own opinion. You need to forsake that God and pursue people in the name of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to pursue relationship? It must be about relationship, okay? Um, the next thing is we have to learn how to accommodate and celebrate the differences of culture represented in our community. Now, this is where it gets a little bit more uncomfortable because we all like worship when it fits for our style, okay? But if we're going to be a church that's pursuing unity and diversity, we need to be willing to pursue other styles of worship represented in our community. So ways that we've done this at Living Songs, we need to keep pressing on this gas pedal, is this, is uh, we're going to read languages, read the Bible in different languages, the languages represented in our community. So we're going to read in English and Spanish and Portuguese and um, all the different languages that we have represented here as a community. And I know some of you don't like it. I've gotten a lot of you talking to me about it, and you're like, I don't like that because I don't understand it. I'm like, I know. But they feel very uncomfortable sometimes when we're always reading and talking in English too. So think about how they feel. And there's something to hearing the message of the word in your own native tongue. And I know that because I've been to other countries and it's like when we're singing songs in another language, I'm like, oh, this is hard to engage in. But then when it's in English, I'm like, I get this. Well, there's a lot of people who have native tongues in our church that their native, their primary language is another language. And so one way we can accommodate them is, is taking a step in that direction, okay? It's not always gonna be comfortable. A second way, and this is a big way, is in music. Now, I've been around the church for a long time. Uh, and here's 
some things that I've just learned about the church, some just basic overarching broad strokes. Number one is those who have like a traditional uh, culture, a white traditional culture, tend to be drawn more towards hymns. And hymns are very wordy, and uh, they just they tend to be more contemplative. Okay, those who are a little bit younger and hipper tend to be drawn to more contemporary or uh, hipster style music. A lot of guitar going on. I think Dave Chappelle even talked about that in one of his Chappelle shows. He's like, you know, like white people like guitar, black people like drums. Now, uh, brown and black people tend to be drawn more towards worship styles of music that have simpler language and more rhythm and often more praise. So I was talking to one Hispanic music leader, and he said, Kyle, we like our music like we like our food. Spicy. (laughs) And so here's what that means for us as a church is if we're going to be pursuing diversity in our church, unity and diversity, we need to have multiple styles of musical worship represented on Sundays. And for our band, who's majority white, it means that sometimes you band members who are in here, I love you, you're going to have to play music that's a little bit of a stretch for you because you're trying to be a missionary to your brothers and sisters around you. You're trying to build bridges. The gospel is all about building bridges so people can connect with God. Um, And then it also means that, you know, sometimes we're going to sing hymns in here, and it's going to be very wordy. And some of you younger people are like, oh, this is too wordy. It's too hard to sing. But all the old people are just going to be just tears streaming, you know. (laughs) Um, And then those of you who are just more into contemporary music, we need to be doing that sometimes too. And, and, And what this means is this, is there's going to be, Worship is not about you coming to church and then saying, I liked every single song we sung this week. And I love you as your pastor, and I tell you this. At the end of the day, church, it's not about you. Worship music is not for you. It's for him. And what brings God delight and a smile to his face? A people worshiping him from all peoples. My house is a house of prayer for all nations. And so if we're a church that's concerned about what God wants, it means that sometimes we're going to come and the music's not going to be our thing, but that's okay because it's God's thing. It's God's thing. And so we need to be willing to take steps in that direction. And then the last uh, thing is this, is we need to be willing to put in hard work for the long haul. I want to draw your attention to how the religious leaders reacted and how the crowd reacted. In verse 18, it says, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy Jesus. That's kind of strong language. They were seeking a way to destroy the Son of God. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. The reality is as we pursue unity and diversity, there's going to be some people who are in it who are going to be astonished by the words of Jesus and this vision of heaven, but then there's going to be a lot of people who want to get rid of it altogether because it's out of their comfort zone. And what that's going to require is resilience from us as a church. It's going to require courage. It's going to require us to be able to say, well, Jesus was rejected. We're willing to be rejected too because this matters to God. And it's going to take hard work. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, Jesus did this on the last week of his his life, and then he sent his disciples out into all nations 40 days later. And, And guess what? 
12 years later in the book of Acts chapter 15, 12 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, we see them having what's called the Jerusalem Council where their church gathers and says, okay, how do we worship together with people who are Jews and people who are Gentiles? Meaning it took them a long time to start to get at it. Um, and then even the apostle Peter, Jesus's right-hand dude, has to get rebuked by Paul, Paul says in Galatians, because Peter was preaching to the Gentiles and then separating himself from them. And Paul had to rebuke him as a racist in the presence of all. And so what it just means for us is that this is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a lot of hard work. And so I just I want to end by saying this. If you're somebody who's in the majority race in here, if you're a white person in here, because this is the vision of heaven, we need to be willing to strive and pray for and work towards this vision. And it's not going to be easy. And we need to have the humility to listen to our minority brothers and sisters when they say that they have something to say. We need to have humility. Okay? And, 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 we, and sometimes it's going to come with heated debate, but that's okay. It's going to take hard work. And if you're somebody who's brown or black or Asian in here, I want to say to you that we need you to continue sticking around. If you want to pursue this vision of heaven with us at Living Stones, you got to be willing to stick it out because it's not going to be easy and it's going to take time. Um, I've, we've had a lot of people who've come and then they say, we like the church. We like, you know, it's, everybody's nice, but it's just not diverse enough. And so we're going to leave. And I'm like, well, when you leave, the diversity also leaves. <laughs> like if we're going to pursue this vision of diversity, we have to be all in together. No, no, that can be hard when you're constantly the one and who's in the room who looks different. You might look at the leadership and say, well, most of the leadership is, is, is white, so they probably don't want me here. And I just want to say, that's not true. You might look at most of the church and say, well, I'm brown or black, so I can't be myself here. I have to act like these white people. That's not true. We want you to be you following Jesus. Okay? We want you to, we want you to be you and your culture following Jesus. And if you're somebody who feels called to be a leader, we, like, jump in. We want to help anybody who's called to be a leader, regardless of race or ethnicity, to become the leader that God is calling them to be. And in fact, with your help as a leader, you're going to help us get there sooner. And you can help this vision of reality become true, this, this vision of heaven become reality. So another thing is if you're old in this church, this happens a lot. A lot of the older people, over 50 years old, they say, wow, the pastor's really young. He's really excited about the Bible. I love that. But they don't want my leadership here because all the leaders are young. You know why all the leaders are young? Because we had to. I mean, it was like the only ones around when we started the church. But now we're starting to get some more gray hairs, some more no hairs, some more people with life wisdom. And God might be calling you to step into leadership. And I'm saying we want you to be leaders too. If you feel called to be a leader, we want to help that happen. And it's going to help us become this vision of heaven, unity and diversity. It's going to take hard work. Now, the last thing is, is simple. We're not always going to nail it. We're going to screw up. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. That will happen. So you need to have some thick skin. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to start this and he will finish it. It's, he doesn't put the burden. He, he invites us to the work, but the burden to finish it is on him. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the last meal that he had with his disciples, he sat down with them and he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he was about to send them into all nations. But first he says, this is my body broken for you. 
If you just think about it in the context of the overall story, Jesus is saying this, I'm about to be torn apart so that you all could be brought together. This is what I came to do. And the good news is that though the church historically and forever will struggle and screw up and mess up and sin against one another, there will be a day when our Lord returns and we will dine with him again at table, the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus will be there and we'll look around the table and we'll see every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. And Jesus will say to us, it's finally here, unity and diversity, a people of all peoples worshiping me. He will finish the work. So we live in this weird period of where it's already and not yet. We're already invited to the work, but it's not yet going to be reality. So we need to celebrate what God is doing in us and continue to strive for his vision of heaven. Will you do this with me, church? Amen. Lord, help us. We cannot do this on our own. We are too weak. We are too selfish. We're too unaware, God. And even a lot of times we have the best intentions of mind and and. We still fall short, but we thank you, Jesus, that you never fall short. We pray, God, that you would help us to see each other through the lens of your eyes, not our stereotypes. We pray, God, that you would just reveal to us if there is any dividing walls of hostility that we're unknowingly putting up, that you would reveal them so that we can turn from them and turn to you. And we do pray that you would make us a more integrated uh, and diverse church, socioeconomically, Uh, in age, in race. Help us to become a diverse church for the sake of your glory. It's not about living stones. It's all about you, Lord. We pray this for your glory and yours alone.